I am very excited to open up this part of God's Word to you today. Uh, As Matt's already pointed out, uh, we're we're listening to a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to his young charge, Timothy. Uh, When and where are we? We're at a place called uh, Ephesus, at least that's where uh, where, uh, Timothy is, uh, in the the west of Turkey there. Uh, When are we? We're about uh, 62 to 67 A.D., uh, in a place called Ephesus. And uh, this is Ephesus today. Um, as you can tell, it wasn't a little kind of backstreet town, pretty significant place. They had a lot going on, and Timothy was God's man in that place. Uh, let's have a listen to what, uh, what Paul was telling uh, Timothy about. Uh, as Matt encouraged us, if you can have 1 Timothy chapter 4 open in front of you, uh, that will be helpful for, uh, for following along today. And uh, we're going to see what it was... Uh, that the Apostle wanted uh, Timothy to pay attention to and to be aware of. It says this in verse 1, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. What does all that mean? What's going on? What's the danger here? Well, we heard the parable of the sower read to us before, a warning that some people will start following Jesus and then cease to follow. And Paul's saying here, that will happen. That will happen in Ephesus. I suspect that will happen right here for us at New Life as well. But he says how it is that they'll fall away. They'll fall away with teachers who are being influenced by evil spirits. Uh, It's not that you'll see an evil spirit up the front of your church. You'll see an ordinary human being who's been influenced to teach people stuff that's other than the truth in Jesus. Notice what they're asking them to do. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. It was interesting. A while ago, I went to to India. And when I got there, I went to a beach uh, in Chennai. And... uh, Something like this. This is something like the beach I went to. When I got there, uh, it was about 45 degrees. It was seriously hot. Massive amounts of humidity. And there was a tower uh, made out of um, bits bits of bamboo and that sort of stuff held together like that. And there was a man sitting on top of it like this. And he'd been on top of the tower, it said, for 14 days. And he was going to sit on top of the tower for 30 days until he achieved world peace. Now, I don't mock the man because anything at the moment that can be done for world peace, I'm sure you'd agree, you'd like to see happen. But his path to achieve it was physically abusing his body. He sat on top of the tower and he wasn't being passed uh, anything other than water up to the top of the table. He had no shade or shelter. It was a blazing hot day and there he was sitting on top of his tower. It's interesting here that the challenge to the people in Ephesus was your path to spiritual advancement Spiritual advancement will come through self-denial and harsh treatment of the body. I think quite often uh, that can appear appealing to certain people, certain people. Some of us would much prefer to have uh, the heating on and comfortable seats and uh, make it as easy as possible to keep following. For some of us, though, the idea that if I beat myself up, I might be able to advance my spiritual state has some sort of appeal. At least it gives me something practical to do something practical to do. Paul is speaking here to his young charge and saying, these people are going to have an issue 
in your church, they're going to take people away because they ask them to abstain from certain foods and forbid them to marry. They're going to put some constraints on them that will help them feel like they're doing better in the Christian life. But notice, he says, he asked them to, they ask people to abstain from foods, but see what Paul says here, uh, picks it up there in verse 3, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Simple point to open up. It can seem like the best thing to do is to despise our physical bodies. There's a wonderful spiritual realm that if you could only get rid of this ridiculous body, you could enter. That's not Christianity. Christianity says you're a physical being. Eating is good. In fact, one of the pictures of heaven is feasting. Sounds all right to me. It says marriage is good. You won't be defiled in your marriage. Love one another. There's a good place for sexuality and for marriage. That's Christianity. And so I think the big point here is a very simple one. Don't call anything evil that God has called good. The world around us is good, broken, but good, not to be despised, not to be escaped from to a uh, Philadelphia cream ad vision of heaven. You know what I mean? They have the kind of puffy clouds and people with wings kind of walking around. That's not our vision. The physical reality is part of what we affirm as Christians. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, t- comes up here. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is a minister. And uh, I often think uh, people wonder... Uh, people like Matthew and myself, and maybe Jess is here as well, uh, what do we do? And uh, you as well, Jeff. Uh, what do we do? What does a minister do? I think this is um, probably a fair picture, isn't it, of what most of us think. Uh, we've got a pretty good job. We get paid to work for a day a week, and the rest of it we kind of kick back on the hammock with a book, mind you, a spiritual book of some kind. That's a work day. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, I think it's a fair question. Uh, how are you supposed to know uh, what we do? Uh, I would love to tell you, and uh, Matt and I can tell you a little bit about what we do. I think in the passage here, Paul tells Timothy what a good minister should do. So I should be listening, and you should be holding myself and Matthew and anyone else who has this job accountable to this sort of vision. Have a look at verse 6. Paul says to Timothy, if you point these things, the things that he's just said, out to the brothers and sisters... You'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Timothy, your job is to help people by pointing out to them the truths of God's word. That's part of your job. That's what it means to be a good minister. Uh, Interestingly enough, the word minister here is, uh, is a deacon word. It means serving, someone who serves. So I've got a picture If you're looking for a picture of a minister, forget the collar. I don't wear one anyway. Forget the collar. Put someone with a tray in hand serving other people. What are we serving? We should be setting people free from rules about harsh treatment of the body, setting people free from rules and soaking in the good news ourselves. We should be full of the good news and we should be sharing it with you to set you free. Now, what does that look like day to day? Come and ask me. But, uh, but they're the things that we should be on about. 
Well, I wonder as we think about uh, what ministers do, um, I think there's a question that kind of sits behind all this, which is, uh, isn't all spirituality basically the same? I mean, if, if push comes to shove, whether you're a, a, a mufti or an imam or a, a, a preacher in, in, a, in a church here in Sydney, don't we all, aren't we all basically doing the same thing? Aren't we all basically doing the same thing? Well, P- Paul would like to say that that's not necessarily the case. Have a look what he tells Timothy uh, in verse 7. In verse 7 he says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Uh, I, love, I love the idea of old wives' tales. Does anyone know any old wives' tales? Wives don't have tails. Is that the start? Yeah, it's good. Very good. Um, does anyone know this one, this old wives' tale? Ah, eat your carrots and you won't be blind. In fact, uh, it's something like this. If you eat your carrots, you'll be able to see better at night. Right? Now, I ate this. Now, just, just bear with me. Have you ever wear... Oh, have you ever seen a rabbit wearing glasses? Thank you, Russell. Point made. Absolutely. This is the sort of stuff we're talking about. Okay, so old wives' tales. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This actually isn't true. You'll be surprised. I know I'm shocking you. I'm shocking you. What happened was during World War II, the English invented radar for their night fighter uh, attack planes. And as the Germans were coming over, they were looking at a little screen with a little ping on it and enabled them to find them at night. They were doing much better than you'd do if you didn't have radar. And so what they said was... Ah, kids, the reason our pilots are doing so well at night is they're eating their carrots. Now, that is a win-win, isn't it? It covers over this wonderful little secret that we have. We've got radar in our planes, and it helps kids eat their veggies because everyone wants to shoot down the plane. Anyway, that's a, so that's, that's in the category of old wives' tale, okay? Old wives' tale. Now, Timothy isn't told, Timothy, have nothing to do with old wives' tales like that. He's not saying, look, don't hang out with women who are saying funny things. He's not saying that. Old wives' tales or godless myths. It's that they were passing around stories, things of an alternate spiritual nature. Of an alternate spiritual nature. Godless myths. Myths not connected with Jesus. Don't have anything to do with them, he says to Timothy. These things aren't the same. They're not equal. They're godless. Now, what does that look like for you and me? I suspect you haven't had a conversation in the last week that would equal a godless myth. I'm guessing you haven't. But, you know, I was thinking about this the other day when I was at the, uh, the retirement village. Uh, we were doing, uh, looking at the Bible together. And I thought about this. Has anyone seen something like this over a doorway? You, you've seen it before? Now, can someone tell me what it is? Horseshoe, right? Oh, it's a good luck charm. Oh, that's very helpful. Thank you. Otherwise, it's a bit random, isn't it? I mean, every now and again, you see a pair of sneakers hanging from a, uh, a line outside someone's house. I think that's saying another thing entirely. I think that's saying another thing entirely. But, but this, this is a horse's shoe. What's that about? Good luck, apparently. Now, I think this is the sort of sideline spirituality that we experience every day that's probably much closer to what Timothy was talking about. 
And look, you might say to me, uh, as my mum did when I pointed out the cheetah horseshoe in her house, um, I said, Mum, what's that about? It's a horse's shoe. He said, oh, I just kind of like having it around. I said, yes. Does it mean anything? No. Will you get rid of it? It's at that point, friends, it's at that point that we've actually crossed over from it being an unusual trinket or something that we kind of like or something that was handed down. We start to realise we've invested some sort of spiritual authority, some sort of power, some sort of luck giving into this inanimate object. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I think the test for you, whether it's a rabbit's foot or it's a something or whatever, as someone pointed out, that wasn't very lucky for the rabbit. Uh, Whatever it is, your test of whether you've invested something in that spiritually is whether you're willing to get rid of it. Are you with me? Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. He says that Basically, we're to free, uh, flee, flee all spirituality outside of Jesus, anything. And look, here's the other one. Here's the other one. I'm going to call this out because it's, you know, it's at master's shopping and bunning shopping level. Okay? Here's the other one. Do you need a Buddha in your garden? Now, I, I, say, this, I, I say this as a resident of the growing southwest where we like having beautiful gardens out the front. And we're having something to be a corner placeholder in your garden. It may as well be something that looks nice and has something more to it than just being a block of concrete. So you could put Shane Warne's face on that, couldn't you? But then I guess it wouldn't find a place in your garden, would it? I think what we need to do as a church here is to flee all forms of spirituality other than Jesus. They're taking us in unhelpful paths and helping us to depend on something that is ultimately undependable. So is balance the way to the good life? Uh, I, like, I like this idea. Uh, people will say to you, not too much of anything, everything in moderation. Have you heard that turn of phrase? Everything in moderation. I'm always intrigued at what gets included in everything. Uh, everything in moderation. Uh, But the idea would be a little from column A, a little from column B, a little from column C, no problems. In fact, many would argue you're a better person because you've sampled some of the delights of everything, right? Don't get too much into anything, a little bit from everything, right? And that's kind of almost the wisdom of our world. Now, Christianity is quite different to that. It it says you're all in or you're not in. Have a listen to uh, to what uh, Paul said to Timothy here. He says this, it says, physical training is of some value. Physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Well, so far so good. At least half of that's good, isn't it? Physical training. Here's, here's what I do for physical training. Uh, I, I love riding. Um, I got up at um, quarter to six the other day and... Uh, lay it up because it was absolutely ridiculously freezing and went for a ride for an hour and a half. It's, it makes me feel better about my life somehow. I love it. I love my exercise. Physical training. Hey, it's encouraged there in the Bible. It says physical training is of some value. Fantastic. So physical training, it's of some value. It holds value certainly for the present life. You're going to be better if you exercise. Well, there you heard that in church. Get out and do it. Uh, That's what God's word says. 
physical training. Uh, and if you're someone who doesn't exercise at all, let me encourage you. There you go. Go do it. Get into it. It has some value, has some value for the present life. But, but notice what he goes on to say. Some value for the present life, but godliness, training in godliness, has value for all things, holding promise both for both the present life and the life to come. It's not a trade-off. You, you don't go, well, I'm a godly person, so I'm going to sit on my bottom and not do anything. It, it's not that at all. And it's not, on the other end, it's not, it's not that physical training is everything, no place for godliness. I, I think that's ridiculous. It says physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things, holding value for this life. You will be living a better life if you're investing in knowing and loving and serving God. Holding presence for this life and, bonus prize, the life to come. Investing now for what's to come in the future. I think that's very encouraging. And uh, I can start to do something about that right now. In fact, I've got a little uh, helpful thing for you to do. Uh, we put together, one of the things that we encourage people to do at church is to read the Bible. Radical, but true. Uh, read the Bible. And we try and read a chapter each day, uh, not because that's as much as you should or shouldn't, just a helpful amount. And uh, so we put together a little, uh, a little program like this. It just gives you a chapter to read each day. And uh, these are available at the back table up there. And if you're not already doing it, I would love to encourage you. That's a practical thing that you can start doing right now. Get into it. Uh, it's part of your training in godliness. All right, well, let, let me ask you this. I think there's another question that comes up in, uh, in the passage here. How do we live with real hope in this world? Um, you were listening to Ian when he prayed? There's enough happening in this world, isn't there, to think at times, almost irrespective of what's happening in my own life, to be thinking, man... It's a desperate old place that we live in, isn't it? How do we continue to live with hope in a world that looks like the news we see every night? How do we continue to live? Well, let's have a look at verses, uh, verses 9 to 10. He says, This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is why we labour and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God. We have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people, and especially of those who believe. Where does our hope lie? Where does our hope lie? Where do you get the resilience to continue to engage with a world that looks like the world around us? I think there's a couple of options. You can withdraw entirely from the world and go, you know what, I'd be much better off watching uh, uh, Family Feud, is it? Is that what's come on TV now about news time, Family Feud? You can watch Family Feud. Don't look at the news. Uh, you might learn some words that you didn't know before. Uh, you might see some people who make you feel better about yourself. Uh, it, it would be an uplifting experience, yeah? A bit of family feud. I would choose to shut myself off from the broken world that's around me. You might even withdraw from people who are doing it tough. I can't have any more of this in my life. I need to just focus on myself and being the best person I can. Ultimately, though, the resilience to keep doing that is only as big as your own strength. And I can tell you from my own experience that will fail. And I suspect many of you know that already. It will fail. We can't keep looking to ourselves for strength. Even the best around us will fail and fall and let us down. Instead, we are pointed here to put our hope in the living God. A God who is infinitely strong, infinitely wise, infinitely powerful. 
I I just want to make a very simple point here. Uh, He's a living God, therefore we can have a living hope. What does that mean? Well, if God's not dead, if he's alive, if Jesus is still alive today, if he was raised up from the grave, then you and I can have hope because God is alive. We can have a solid hope, a living hope, because God is alive. Where should we look for hope in this world? I think there's only one place that will be truly reliable, that will never fail. God himself. Well, what about that last bit? I don't know if you just, that last little bit that I just read here. Uh, What about that last bit uh, that I've just highlighted here? That's why we labour and strive, because we put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people, and especially of those who believe. What does it mean? What does it mean for him to be the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe? Well, uh, I like illustrations and I like big ships, so there we go. That that comes together rather well. Uh, What's the requirement on a ship after Titanic anyway? Uh, What's the requirement on a ship when it comes to lifeboats? Mumble it out a little bit louder. What's the requirement? Enough for everyone. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nicole. Enough for everyone. So there needs to be a seat on another boat for every single person who's on the big boat. Yep. So when it goes down, we're not trying to work out who the first class passengers are. We're not trying to prioritise the women or children, although let's do that. Uh, We're not trying to do that. We are just trying to find a seat that is prepared for us, that's made available on the ship because that's what was required. I think when he says that he's the saviour of all people, the saviour of all people, you can be encouraged that it's possible for everyone to be saved. There's provision. Jesus' death on the cross made provision for my sin and for your sin and indeed for everyone to be able to be saved. Provision, a seat on the lifeboat for every single person. I don't know about you, but I find that tremendously encouraging. It means when we look at God, we don't see him being stingy. We see his wonderful generosity. We see the awesomeness of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. I was never going to be good enough for God, but Jesus died in my place that I might be made right. There is a seat for me prepared in Jesus' death and resurrection. Here's the first thing that tells me. Firstly, it tells me God is good. He loved us in an extraordinary way to make that offer available. God is the saviour. He makes provision for all people. And then it says, he's the saviour especially of those who believe. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? There's a great, a great quote from uh, one of my favourite preachers. He said, he said this, He said, people will never cry out for a saviour until they know that they need one. People will never cry out for a saviour until they know that they need one. And so it can be that you're sitting on the boat and uh, it's sailing along. And you go from here to Fiji, I don't know, people seem to be doing this these days quite a bit. Has anyone been on a cruise? Yeah, very good, a couple of you, yeah. Uh, It's all the rage these days, apparently. Uh, As you're sitting on that, going through the islands, do you sweat about whether there's a seat on the lifeboat? No, you're sweating because you're on the top deck looking for your martini, right? You're sweating because it's warm and 
you're getting a tan. You're not in any way concerned about the lifeboats. However, once you turn the lights out, you're in the middle of a storm that looks something like that. I don't know how fast the wind's blowing there, but I've got to tell you, that looks pretty epic. If you find yourself in weather like this, and the ship seems to have assumed an angle like that, I can assure you, at that point, you are very, very interested in the lifeboats. You want to find them straight away. I want to say, for many of us, we go through life on the top deck. And as long as the martinis aren't too far out of hand, we're all good. There are some times in life when we realise, actually, do you know what? I'm never going to get through this life on my own strength. I don't have enough resilience. I don't have enough well of hope inside me or strength or whatever it is. I'm not going to be able to do it. And on those days, you want to find the lifeboat. You want to know that God has made provision for you, that he's offering salvation for you, that he can cleanse your guilty conscience, that he can assure you of life after death, that he can give you hope and meaning in this life. On those days, I want to know that God is my saviour and he is the saviour especially of those who believe. We're saved by trusting in him, by trusting in him. So what should we do? Well, if you've uh, trusted in Jesus, I want to encourage you to keep doing so. If you've got stuff that's... uh, well, let me, let me put these up. Put these up. Uh, if, you, if you're tempted to pursue spirituality by beating yourself up, I want to encourage you, stop it. Eat your full ice cream and go for a run. Yeah? Okay? That, that's not the way to pursue spirituality. I want to encourage you, this world is good. God actually affirms it. We don't have to hate or despise it. I want to encourage you that the minister's job should be to help set you free. And and come and talk to us about what we do during the week. I want to encourage you, whatever it is that you have around your house that might be mistaken for false spirituality, that you need to get rid of it. You need to get rid of it. And as I said, your challenge will be, it'll be the thing that you think I don't want to get rid of, I can't get rid of, that you are most encouraged by me to ditch. Physical trainings of some value, go and have a run. Tell people you learnt that at church. Uh, And pursue godliness. Pick pick up this. Start reading and praying. If you're not doing it already, we'd love to encourage you to be be reading more uh, in, uh, in God's word. Have faith. Have hope in the living God. He's living, he's solid, he's sure. Know that God is ultimately good and he offers salvation for all who believe. We would love if you've never taken hold of that offer uh, and we we baptised some people this morning. I'd love to do some more baptising here. I love it. Uh, If you've never taken hold of that offer but you feel all at sea, I'd love you to find hope and security, assurance and forgiveness in Jesus. I'm going to pray for us and ask that we would be the people who find new life and live it for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you great thanks for the truths in this letter. I thank you that Paul wrote to Timothy to help him do his job in Ephesus. I thank you that 2,000 years later, we can find things of use and challenge to us here. Father, I pray that we would pursue godliness, that we would value seeking after you, that we would find value both for this present life and the life to come. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.